0: We continue our... Series that we started the first week in October, the first Sunday in October, God's story, our story, as we're surveying the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, seeking to shape our worldview, not according to the culture, not according to popular opinion, but shaping what we believe, our worldview, according to the very Word of God. Last week, Sam took us through Genesis chapter 11, the first part of Genesis. 11 as we looked at the story of the Tower of Babel, and this week we continue our series by looking at the very end of Genesis chapter 11 and the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 12, as we look at the story or the beginning of the story of a life of a man by the name of Abram, who would eventually be called Abraham. Abram simply means, when we find this character in the Bible in Genesis chapter 11, he's called Abram, which simply means father. Eventually in Genesis chapter 12, his name, God will change his name to Abraham, which means the father of many, or the father of of the nations. And so that's where we pick, off, pick up this morning. We're gonna read one verse in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, and then we're gonna to proceed to read Genesis chapter 12, verses one through nine. This is the very word of God. Chapter 11, verse 30. Now Sarai, who was the wife of Abram, was barren and she had no child. Chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great that you might be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to the offspring, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar to the Lord, who would appear to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. And the grass withers on this Lord's day and the flower continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. What a time to pick up this story in the Bible. What a time to encounter this man, first called Abram and later Abraham. To give you a little context of what is happening historically, it is unbelievable time. Genesis chapter 11 concludes with this Reality that Sarai, the wife of Abram, is barren and has no child. But we finally get to the name Abram. If you read Genesis chapter 11, the second half of that chapter, it actually begins with another name. It's the name Shem, who was Shem. Shem was the son of Noah. Remember, God preserved Noah. He preserved one family, and Noah had sons, And one of the sons that was set apart was Shem. And Genesis chapter 11 gives us all of these names from Shem all the way down to Abram. But we get to the end of chapter 11 and we read two tragic things. That the line of Shem, the last line of the people that knew anything about Yahweh that knew anything about God, were not worshiping Yahweh, but they were worshiping in a place called Ur the Chaldeans. They were worshiping the moon and the idols of this world. It's tragedy number one. The people that were set apart, saved through the line of Noah and through the line of Shem, we get all the way to the end of the line and they're no longer worshiping Yahweh, but they're worshiping the idols of this world. It's tragedy number one. The second tragedy is this, that there's no more hope. There is no more people to come because we finally have gotten to Abram and Sarai and the story stops in utter tragedy. We're told that Sarai is barren so, the hope of God taking the good news to the nations, the hope of God continuing this legacy and this lineage of godly people that would know God and make him known, it seems at the end of Genesis chapter 11 that hope is gone, that the last remnant, has now deserted Yahweh. It is now worshiping other gods. And if there was any hope, that hope is gone of any future people that would come because we are told the last people that knew anything about Yahweh, she's barren. And it is in that context that we read the story of Abram. And the reason I want you to know that is we pick up the story of Abraham in the midst of utter darkness, in the midst of utter hopelessness. And when all hope seems lost, it is in that context that God calls a man by the name of Abram. Let's study it briefly together this morning. The first thing that we see about the calling of Abraham is the power of this call. We have to understand that God calls Abraham and it is in the midst of utter tragedy. It is in the midst of his wife being barren. The idea of barrenness, particularly in the Old Testament, was symbolic and represented utter hopelessness. For a woman in the East, for for the ancients to be barren communicated hopelessness. But that's the whole point of the story. It's in the midst of hopelessness that God calls Abraham out to another country. It's in the midst of despair. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? This is how God worked from Genesis chapter one. When there was nothing, God created something. In the midst of darkness, God created light. And this is how God works in the life of Abraham. Why? Because this is the lesson of God, that God calls people when their backs are up against the wall and there seems like there can be no more hope in this world. That is the context in which God not only calls Abraham, but how he calls you. You see, there is nothing that qualifies Abraham in these verses to be the man that takes the gospel to the nations. There's nothing that qualifies Abraham He's hopeless. His wife is barren, but God calls him anyway so that it would serve as a reminder for you and me is this is the economy of God. Just yesterday, my wife was hosting our uh, monthly young adult women's community group and two hours before the women are about to come, the AC goes out without fail. So I scramble and I do what? I Google who is qualified to fix my air conditioning. And I hire them and I pick the person who is most qualified to come in to my house and with 45 minutes to spare, they fix the AC. But listen to me, that's not how God works. You see, God does not look down the line and say, who is most qualified to serve me? I'll choose that person to be a part of my kingdom. I'll choose that person to be a part of my mission. No, the opposite, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You see, the reason on the surface that we at times cannot comprehend the mind of God is that God operates apart from our normal paradigm. He does not choose the wise of this world, but he chooses the foolish things of this world. He doesn't choose those who are qualified on the surface, but he actually chooses He actually calls those who are unqualified so that one day when we are standing before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? We can't say because of all these qualifications. God, you will let me into heaven because of the qualifications granted unto me by Jesus the Christ. You see, the calling of Abraham will now serve as a paradigm for how God works. He chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the unqualified things to be qualified to be a part of his kingdom. Sarai was barren. If God was operating according to the patterns and the wisdom of this world, he could not have picked a worse candidate. Okay, I'm going to go out and and this is God, and I want to take my good news and my mission to the world. I'll pick a barren woman to do it. I mean, there could not have been a least likely candidate and a least qualified candidate than Abraham and Sarah. But that's how God works. So that at the end, Abraham and Sarah do not get the credit or the glory. But God does. It is the power of the call. God working death and bringing about life. God working in the midst of barrenness and making something beautiful. This is the whole doctrine of justification by faith. We are justified and made right, not according to anything we have done or could do. We are justified on the basis of another man's righteousness, Jesus the Christ. And this call of Abraham and Sarai will serve as a paradigm for God's gracious and sovereign call throughout redemptive history of calling broken people like you and me. Second thing that we see is not only the power of the call, but the radical nature of this call. In verse chapter, in in verse one of chapter 12, we see how radical this call is that God gives Abraham. In verse one, it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. I think that translation is a little weak because in the original Hebrew, it actually reads, get out yourself. I actually love the King James. Listen to the King James of verse one. Get thee out of thy country. This is what God is saying to Abraham. And you can only imagine the conversations he's having with Abraham. And Abraham's saying, but my whole family's here. Too bad, get out yourself. But everything I know is here. Get out yourself. But, But my security here is here and my comforts are here. Get out yourself. But what about my family and my friends? Get at yourself. You see, God had never calls his people into a popularity movement. He never calls his people to follow the trends and to follow the masses. God always, beginning here in Genesis chapter 12 and today calls his people to be a remnant set apart in the minority not as what is most popular with modern culture but what is true to the word of God and that is not only how God calls Abraham but how he calls you this morning and you could come up with a hundred different reasons of why you can't lay down your life for the sake and the kingdom of God And God calls you this morning, and he says, too bad. Get out yourself. You might be the only one walking with God. You might be the only one that answers the call of God. And God is calling some of you here this morning to leave your comforts and leave your security and get out yourself. This is how God will work in the whole story of Abraham. And Abraham answers the call of God and doesn't even blink. That is how radical this call is. And this will be the story of Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Where? I'll show you later. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. How? Don't worry, I'll show you later. Abraham, I want you to take your son to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. Why? Don't ask questions. I will show you later. The only thing Abraham has is the only thing you and I have. It is the precious word of God that calls us to live in such a radical way with no questions asked, to follow him, knowing that his ways are greater than our ways, that his ways are higher than ours. It is a radical call and God is calling some of you this morning, get out, even if it means getting out yourself. But here's the problem, lastly, you and I read this and it seems ridiculous. I mean, Abraham followed the call of God because he was not as sophisticated as we are today. I mean, this is ancient civilization and, and he didn't know any better. I mean, we, we're a church on the east side of Fort Lauderdale. I mean, we are, we are sophisticated, educated people. I mean, Rob, you must cut us a little slack as far as how radical this call is to follow the kingdom of God. It's only absurd, it's only absurd, is if the promises of God to Abraham were not based in truth and just empty promises from God to Abraham. You see, you can only imagine Abraham wrestling wrestling with the promises of God. On the one hand, he looks, and what does he have? He has a barren wife. On the other hand, he hears the promises of God. I'm gonna make your name great. I wanna wanna make you a nation. I want you to be a blessing so that all the nations of the world can be blessed. And I'm sure Abraham, if he's honest, is going, I hear what you're saying, God, but my wife's barren. How can I trust a God like that? And it would only make sense, the calling of God to Abraham, if we understand the promise under all the other promises. You see, this is the promise of the call. All of the promises of God to Abraham to be a nation and to make your name great and to be a blessing so that all the nations of the world can be blessed are all dependent upon one single promise and that is the promise of future offspring. And so at some point, Abraham had to respond by faith and go, I see barrenness, but I believe today, God, that that is not the final chapter for my story. I believe, God, by faith that you will turn that barrenness into life. And I believe that you will turn my darkness into light. And I believe that you will bring life out of death. And you will do it through by providing offspring. And boy, did he ever. And by faith, Abraham believed that God, although my wife today is barren, that is not her final chapter, that you will... make true your promise that you will bring a seed that will crush the head of the serpent and that's what we just celebrated several weeks ago that long after Abraham responded by faith in a future offspring, God delivered on that promise by bringing Jesus Christ into the world. And listen to me, that is the only basis for why Abraham believed the promises of God, the promise of a future son that would come. And it's the only promise you and I have this morning. Listen to me. I know. I know because I know your story, that some of you are looking at life and it is barren and it is broken and it is dark and it seems like there is no hope. But my prayer for you this morning is that you would answer the call of God not just because the pastor told you to, But like Abraham through faith, you would say that there is a son that has come and his name is Jesus Christ and he has perfectly answered the call of God on your behalf. He left his father's house, he left his father's country and he came down to our neighborhood and took on flesh and he laid down his life as that future offspring so that you and I might live forever. We sing it all the time. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? There was only one thing that moved and empowered Abraham to answer that call and to leave his comforts and his security It's the only thing that will move you this morning to leave the comforts and security of your life and answer the call of God, maybe even for the very first time. I believe that there is someone in here this morning in your experience right now of barrenness and brokenness that God is calling you to look to the Son, the one who offers hope in the most hopeless circumstances. His name was William Borden. William Borden was born in Chicago and raised in Chicago. William Borden was the heir, the $20 million heir, to the Borden Dairy Fortune. Several years after inheriting $20 million from the Borden Dairy Fortune, he became a Christian. And he responded by becoming a Christian this way He said, God has called me to systematically give away my fortune. odd. And so what he did is he wrote in his Bible the words, no reserve. I will not hold myself back from serving the kingdom and giving it all away to the kingdom of God. Well, he went off to Bible college and he wanted to learn to read and study and declare the Bible He started a prayer group on his campus where people would come to know Jesus Christ and gather in prayer on Wednesday evenings. This prayer group produced future ministers that would go out with, like William Borden, with no reserve. After Bible college, he wrote on the bottom of his Bible, not only the words, no reserve, but no retreat. We will never retreat in the face of hopelessness. We will never retreat in the face of darkness. Well, after Bible college, he decided that he wanted to be a missionary to the Muslims. And what did he do? He goes out to Egypt to learn Arabic. Three months in, at the age of 25, William Borden died of spinal meningitis. When they collected his sparse belongings, including his Bible, and delivered it to his family, they opened up the cover, and under the words, no reserve, And no retreat were the words no regret. How do you explain a life like William Borden? There's only one explanation. If you were to go to Egypt today and visit his gravesite on his tombstone, would read these words: William Borden, there is no explanation for his life except for the love of God. Brothers and sisters. If you have experienced the lavish love of God as unqualified as you and I are, there is no explanation for our lives other than a life called by God that has no reserve and no retreat and no regret. It's the only way you can explain this church and the amazing things that have happened in this church except for the love of God being poured out upon people, men and women that wanted to take this message of the love of God to their city and to the ends of the earth. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What is God calling you to? Because as I said, we could sit here and come up with hundreds and hundreds of excuses for why we should not answer the call of God. But I believe that this year, 2020, God is calling somebody in our midst to answer the call of God like a William Borden with no reserve and no retreat and no regret And you have a stark choice this morning just as Abraham did. You can live your life for yourself and be consumed with what fills me and how will I be blessed and you will be of little use. Or you can empty yourself in light of Jesus emptying himself and be used by God in ways yet undreamed. God is calling someone here this morning to either live a safe, comfortable life for yourself or a life that is uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom. Would you pray this prayer with me this morning? God, I hear you calling and I'm ready to follow. If there is one thing I long for this church in 2020 is that men and women and boys and girls would be raised up in this congregation that say yes to God and no to themselves. And they would say, God, I hear you calling. I'm ready to follow. And that you can get up and get out, maybe even getting out yourself because you look to the one who got out and laid down his life for you and for me. Will you pray this prayer with me? God, I hear you calling and I'm ready to follow.